So welcome back to the Story of Software podcast. Today, we're joined by Didier Karoff, who's the VP of Engineering at Akaneo. How are you today? Super good. Thank you. I'm really glad to talking with you today. Well, I really appreciate your time. And today, we're going to talk about structuring engineering teams. But to begin with, Didier, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about yourself and what motivated you to pursue a career in technology? Yeah, sure. A bit of history. Uh, <laughs> Back when I was younger, I was already passionate about, uh, about technology. Uh, my mother was a mathematics teacher and my father was a physics teacher. So a pretty, uh, a pretty intellectual, I would say, family environment, <laughs> by the way. And uh, in fact, when I was 12 years old, no phone, no TV, but only one thing, uh, a computer, a Philips computer. It was, in fact, for me, really magical. And my passion come from this computer. So I started to use technology to develop things, break things for sure. I really wanted to continue on this domain and maybe one time, one day to make it my job. And I did a technology degree. So I started to be developer 20 years ago now in a hotel company. So uh, mainly to develop different, uh, different platforms, software. Then I spent roughly eight years uh, in investment banking where I was production engineer, uh, SRE, as we say now. And since 2014, uh, I'm evolving in the startup world as manager for companies such as uh, Critio, OVH, or Voodoo, a gaming company. And uh, yeah, I feel uh, really super happy to be in this, in this field, in this area of work. So yeah, really happy, even if my job changed to uh, developer to manager. <laughs> Um, we have something in common, which was, uh, for me too, both of my parents were teachers when I was growing up and yeah, yeah. I don't know if you found the same thing, but it, it certainly brings a certain amount of pressure to perform well academically. I think when your parents are teachers, they have that expectation that you're going to get good grades at school and that you're going to apply yourself and always be very well behaved. So yeah. Correct. It was the same. <laughs> I'd love to ask you about your current company. So tell us a little bit about Akenio, what you guys do, maybe the evolution of the company since you joined. Yep, yep. So I joined uh, Akenio three years ago, and Akenio develops a product inventory management system, which is extended today to the PXMs, uh, the product experience management. So in fact, PXMs means product experience, and uh, to give you a a simple example of how and why, this is the right and the good question. The first example I love to share is a pen. Uh, when you go to the supermarket to find, let's say, a red pen, you're able to touch it, to play with it, to compare with other pens around the corner. And when you want to buy this pen uh, on the internet, you are not able to have the same feeling. You are not able to touch it. You're not able to compare with others. So this is why product experience is really crucial, important, and this is why we developed the PIM for that. Because you need to have the right title, the right description, the right image for this pain. Uh, imagine you would like to find a red pain. Uh, the title read red pain, but the image is a blue pain. So you don't trust this, uh, this website and you don't buy something on this website. So this is really the first, uh, the first aim of the, of the PIM is to give a high quality on your uh, product catalog and to have the right experience to the customer. Another good example I love to, to, to share, maybe uh, you want to buy something on Amazon, classic. 
you wait a few days for your package and oh, surprise, you open your package and this is not the right article. Huh. So you have to return back to Amazon. This kind of return represents uh, in US 3,000 million of dollars. This is massive, really massive. So this is bad in terms of brand image and most importantly for me, very, very bad for the nature, very bad for the environment. And in fact, high quality for your product catalog also means to reduce this kind of error, to reduce the impact for the environment, to ensure, in fact, your exactness for your product information. So this is really the two examples I give to explain why I can use and Didier, could you tell us a little bit about the, the technology challenges that you face in serving a business like this? Yeah, sure. Um, back in 2013, uh, in fact, Akinio developed the first version of the PIM, and the choice is made to be open source for the first version. And usually we call that a LAMP technology. So for LAMP is standing for Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP. And at that time, it was really a, a good choice because you have a strong community around Apache, around MySQL, uh, PHP. Uh, so it was really a very good choice at first. So they started, we started to have on-premise version, uh, not in the SaaS at that time. And then we moved to PaaS and today, since three, four years ago, to the SaaS. So one of the main challenge we face at Akinio is to manage this different version, to manage a package, to manage, to manage a SaaS version. This is really super challenging for us to have at the same time the new version for all this package. So this is one of our main, main challenges. Another point I, I would like also to mention is what we call today uh, the composable commerce and the Mac Alliance. Uh, why I talk about that? Because this is also a challenge for us. Because composable commerce allows, in fact, e-commerce team to select and assemble the best of breed, as we say, on the e-commerce solution. And you compose on, in fact, them to satisfy your business needs. That's why you have the business centricity, you have a modular architecture, and also an open ecosystem. We resonate for us as open source, so it's really online with uh, what we do at, at Akinio. So this is what we call the composable commerce. And then you have the Mac Alliance. So Mac is about to have a real uh, modern approach in terms of architecture and to build your software and system. So Mac stands for the end to microservice based. So each business piece is a uh, functionality. Then the A is for API first. So all things communicate through an API. Uh, the C is pretty easy. It's for the cloud. So cloud native. Cloud native means you have your storage, your hosting in the cloud. Sure, you have an elastic scaling, on uh, automatic updating, and so on and so on. But also in terms of development for your application, which is also cloud native. Uh, and the last one is the H for headless. Headless means you have a decoupled front-end and back-end. Uh, so in fact, again, you decouple back-end logic from your front-end. And with that, you are framework agnostic for your front-end. So this is also a, a good challenge. To summarize, it's really like a, a Lego brick <laughs> where you compose what you want for your P. And yeah, 
that stimulate the growth in e-commerce field, but also stimulate us as a big challenge. Very good. I would love to talk to you about the structure of engineering teams within a startup. So from your perspective, is there an ideal structure for your engineering team in a startup? And how might that structure change over time? Um, ideal, you adapt, you evolve, uh, you, you, you learn by doing. And today, I'm continuing to, to, to do this, to evolve, to learn, and to adapt my current engineering organization because we grew a lot. So on my point of view, is really a, a, a non-stop job. Uh, if I could explain my organization and my current organization by, by an analogy, I would say it's like a restaurant because uh, it's not because you know how to cook one meal, you are able to run a restaurant. And for the production is clear and for the development part or the data part, uh, is really the, the, the same. If you leave your work, your work first, dirty or poorly clean, again, you will throw it down daily. And this is the same for engineering. So I love to take this, uh, this analogy because when you are clean with your work face, you are able to move faster. You are able to have a cleaner code base and therefore your product for sure. You need and you, you have to easily monitor and maintain your different platform and maintain in the high availability as well. So yeah, I like to take this analogy because this is really uh, what we, we do every day. We are trying to be a restaurant 24 hours, seven days. And in terms of real organization today, uh, we are organized by what we call product squad or autonomous product squad. So uh, a squad with a, the, a mission is close to, uh, to the Spotify model, in fact, uh, where your teammates are able to own their missions. My current setup and the most common case is some software developer, then a lead developer and a product manager. So is around for a squad, uh, five people. Uh, so this is our sweet spot for a squad in terms of number. We already experienced a more large squad with eight or 10 people, but in fact, it was not a real, uh, a real success. Too much interaction, too much discussion, too much things to have a buying of everyone. Uh, that's why we limit really the number of people in the squad to ensure the squad is able to perform well and also to reduce, I would say, the connective load of the squad by also the platforming. So we, we are practitioners of the team topology organization where the platforming of the team reduces the connective load in the squad by providing support, by providing tools sometimes. So yeah, not on ideal, but you need to evolve, I would say. And could I ask how, given that current uh, kind of product squad structure that you have, how do you deal with QA? Uh, do you have a QA engineer sitting within the team or is everyone doing their own work? Uh-huh. Excellent question. No, we don't have any QA team. The QA is done directly by the squad. So the QA is led, I would say, by the software engineer slash lead developer directly. So they are in charge of their quality. Okay, very good. Um, how do you deal with a situation if, let's say, two engineers of the same level of experience have a very different view on what approach should be taken? Does the lead engineer, you know, call those kinds of decisions? Or, you know, when those daily disputes arise, how are they generally dealt with? Mm -mm, I see. Um, we, in fact, we are doing that by case by case, <laughs> really case by case. We limit in time the, the decision. So that's helped a lot uh, to, to have the buy-in of someone or of the team. Uh, but yeah, we, we limit in time. So I could say you start these studies 
and in two weeks we take the decision and what's the general level of engineer happiness with this type of structure like from your perspective is this the mode of working that gives engineers the most satisfaction or what's your opinion on that my this is my personal opinion but what i look is people developer or data engineer or everyone in the engineering organization want to have a sense of work and a sense of work is done by the mission and this mission is owned by the team so no top down or we limit the top down you have a sense of what you are doing of your impact and this is why people like to work like that because they understand why they are doing that they understand what is the impact but also at the company level at the product department level and so on and so on and i think this is really important to have a sense of work when you are doing something i'd also love to ask you from your perspective what's the role of the product manager in an autonomous product squad um this is the voice of the customer so first thing first product manager studies the market studies why we want to develop this feature and able to explain why we are going to develop this new functionality uh so yeah this is really the purpose of their work as a product manager and um, when you think about typical mistakes companies make when they structure engineering what are the things that you hear about companies getting wrong or things you observed in that regard um one point i could point one thing people believe more people more delivery this is the classic one if i add i don't know for a team of five people i uh, double with another five people so i double the delivery like that no <laughs> this is not true uh, so i really trust about this is not because you had more people that your delivery will improve by two by three or or something like that and also i believe that you have steps in a company when you are 10 people is a step when you are 50 people is another step when you reach like me today 100 people is another step so this is not possible to to take a simple example when you are i would say 15 in a company and you are 10 in the engineering i'm not sure you need an engineering manager but once you rise about and you reach 50 people you need an engineering manager so you really designing and organizing your organization depending really about the number of people first and also the number of systems because it also depends of what is your business what is your core domains uh, your own communication structure and so on uh, i'd like to ask you a little bit about technology sector in france because you are our first podcast guest from france i know there's a very proud software and technology tradition in france and that many innovations have been made in france that have been instrumental in the advancement of the internet and uh, and in other technology areas could you tell us a little bit about how the ecosystem is in france at the moment for for software in general mm. i found since five years i would say a real engagement and commitment at the same level of uh, uk and us the french tech sector is really stronger we started, on, in fact, to see people from a famous French uh, startup building their own company. The same things we saw in the US about 10 or 15 years ago. So, so yeah, the current trend, the current tech sector in France is really, uh, really strong. We see a lot of uh, new company emerge, a new startup, new scale-up as well. So if we have maybe one difference, uh, I would say the culture, the French culture, but uh, no big other difference between uh, US or UK or France. How would you describe how that French culture manifests itself? 
Ah. Mm. Um, detail. We we love the detail in prints. We we like to understand everything before writing something. <laughs> What would you say are the kind of strong domains within the tech sector? Because, you know, if I think of French startups that I've been familiar with over the last 10 years or so, I can think of companies more in security and things like that, uh, digital identity, innovation. Are there other areas where France has been quite strong? Um, the ad tech, the ad tech is pretty strong. Health tech as well. Doctolib, uh, Alan, startups like that are really famous uh, in France and not only in France. And the fintech is uh, a pretty strong uh, sector, I guess. Very good. Um, you've been in the technology sector now for quite a while and you've been in leadership roles, managing people. What kind of advice would you give to people about maybe some skills they should develop or, or just some general tips on, on how to lead effectively in technology? Mm. My main suggestion slash tips is you must be real uh, with your people. You must be really clear with your people and trust them by getting sense of work, by getting real autonomy, no micromanagement, for instance. Um, why? Because it will give you back uh, by million. Avoid the over-control. Let them doing mistake. So, yeah, like... Be frank, be transparent, be honest. Uh, empathy, for sure, presents with your people. So this is really my main suggestion for people wanting to be a, a manager. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think we all have a good detection system for bullshit. And when people are bullshitting us or they're being inauthentic, we, we understand at a very visceral level that something isn't quite right about what's going on. Uh, everyone's a lot more relaxed when people are telling the truth. So I think if you bring your real self to a leadership role and you're honest about your strengths and weaknesses, people will want to work with you. And sometimes being real and being authentic means maybe talking about your own weaknesses or vulnerabilities or areas that you're not particularly strong. Um, it certainly seems to have a, a very positive impact around engagement and people wanting to, to work with you. Correct. I fully agree with that. Uh, and, and this main suggestion comes from a mistake I made, in fact. <laughs> I didn't express my attention. I didn't express my feeling. And it was a mistake. And once I changed that, it was like a revolution <laughs> for me and for my people. <laughs> yeah, when we, have, when we have all hands calls at Zaratis, one thing I make an effort to do is to talk about our failures and shortcomings. Because it's very easy when you're leading people to talk about all the positives and the things that are going well. But I think you need to be honest about mistakes and shortcomings. And uh, people know anyway, they can see it. They're not stupid. So like they'll be far more sensitive to these things that leaders often will be. But I think you have to be honest and take ownership of where things haven't worked out well. And uh, it humanizes everyone as well and, uh, and can lead to a much greater sense of acceptance. And... I have one last question for you, which is, what are the richest sources of learning for you right now? Are there books? Are there podcasts? Are there websites you go to? Like, how are you learning at this point in your career? Hmm. Maybe about podcasts. I could take the opportunity for that because I have my own podcast called Beyond Tech. This is, in fact, close to my session like that. I, I receive in this podcast... People I admire around the world, people I, I love to learn from them. 
So yeah, I, I receive a special guest uh, for this podcast, and this is something I uh, I love to I love to do. And then uh, in terms of uh, book recommendation, the classic one is Another Path from Camille Camille Fournier. Another one for me, one of the best books is the Team Topology book for your modern organization. If you want to understand what they call today platforming team, you want to know about the different interaction between people. If you want to understand what is a streamlined team, what is a platform team, uh, what is a sub-platform team, and so on. It's really super interesting. Also to understand, because this is a product-led organization, which is a mix between team topology and DDD, the domain-driven uh, design. Um, and last bout, I'm currently reading, so not yet finished, but still, it turns the ship around on a captain, Captain Marquis. Again, a really good, uh, really good book. And this is one is about autonomy and trust. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, Didier, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really good to talk to you, to, to learn from you and your career experience and uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic. So production by Adnan Tuchar with support from Evan Sheehan and Albina Krasteva. We'll catch you next time on the Story of Software podcast.